Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. And um, a happy, smiling face in front of me. And he's smiling all across the Atlantic. How about that? Isn't that amazing? Jonathan Joseph is with us today. And, it's, and now we, he and I were chatting earlier, and uh, he's got one of those exotic, gorgeous names, but he wants to keep that in because he's going with his first two names, because that's, you know, romantic and mystical and mystique and um, all that sort of stuff. So it's great to talk to you today, Jonathan. I'm really looking forward to it. I've already had a quick chat to, to, you, to him, and I can tell you now he's a force of nature. So hang on. It's going to be a roller coaster of excitement and interesting stuff. So, Jonathan, thanks for joining us. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, you are not wrong. I am definitely a tour de force uh, going at about a million miles a minute. That's just my default setting. So if you're on dial up, uh, buckle up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So tell us a little bit about um, what it is that you do at the moment. Certainly. So I am the CEO and founder of Little Red Fashion, and we are the first children's fashion education technology and publishing company in history. Uh, we are rolling out a series of augmented reality enhanced and regular kids books to teach them about the world of fashion through a lens of diversity, equity, inclusion, and sustainability. Uh, it's a passion of mine that I've always had for the industry. I briefly consulted in luxury women's wear and sportswear, and through that just saw a lot of toxicity and things that were really negatively affecting the mental health of people in the industry, as well as consumers through marketing and advertising. And I thought educating kids about the fashion industry was something that could shortcut some of those things. If we can prevent children from having body dysmorphia because they see unrealistic beauty standards, that's a beautiful thing. It's much easier in my head to create empowered kids rather than fix broken adults. And so I made it my mission after that experience in consulting where I rubbed up against some of the worst parts of the industry to change it. So I stepped away and uh, wrote this book uh, called The Little Red Dress, which is the story of a single red dress as it goes through its life from sketch to sample to runway uh, into photo shoots and lives the many phases of life that a dress today leads, even going to a consignment shop and then being rediscovered after a slight existential crisis and being put in a fashion museum exhibition. Uh, and so very excited, very excited to get the book out in February of 2022. It's currently available for pre-order. But, um, you know, through doing that and writing the book, uh, I realized that there was just no fashion education resources for kids. And I'm just creating the stuff I wish existed when I was 10 years old and I was interested in this stuff. Right. Whew. 
you did eventually pause for breath. That was 18 minutes and 33 seconds. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> that was a great intro. Um, <laughs> so what's your background then, uh, John? Well, 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 what's your journey been to this point? Oh, well, I mean, uh, on a personal level, my journey started in an orphanage in Colombia. Um, I was left in an orphanage when I was a baby, a newborn, and was very blessed to be adopted uh, at nine months old by an amazing couple. Uh, my father is Iranian from Tehran, and my mother is Italian-Irish from New York. So you got your classic New Yorker and uh, a great immigrant story on, on my dad's front. They came together, adopted me, uh, because they were unable to have children due to my mother's battle with cancer. And uh, they got stuck with this one. Uh, that's why I'm an only child. I think they figured one was enough. I was yeah. <laughs> definitely enough of my hands. One's always enough. <laughs> yeah, and you know, uh, my experiences with ataxic cerebral palsy, I think were a big influence in, again, starting Little Red Fashion because uh, for those of you listening who are unaware, those of us with certain types of CP, we wear AFO leg braces. Now, hold on. Now, let's, let's just whoa, 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 dee, whoa, sure. whoa, whoa. So you've, got, you've skipped past thousands of interesting bits and pieces there. But tell me, <laughs> tell, so tell me about, you, you say you've got um, CP, cerebral palsy already. Yeah, ataxic yeah. cerebral palsy. Yeah. I, yeah, you know, it is something that usually happens to kids at or right, like at birth or just immediately after. Mm -hmm. uh, ataxic CP is the rarest form of CP. And really affects depth perception, balance, uh, fine motor skills. I have what's called an intention tremor, uh, you know, and uh, for me, it was always uh, just part of things. I was very much taught to the theme of resilience that, you know, my mother would say, God doesn't give you things that you can't handle. Uh, and I was not really treated as an other by my family. They were just like, oh, sure, you have... Uh, you have CP and that's okay. Like you can find accommodations. Uh, we will fight for you. You know, it was very yeah. much that sort of battle parent mentality. I think the parents of any child with a disability, uh, whether it be physical or developmental, uh, feel that way. You know, you're a warrior for your kid who can't advocate for themselves, especially as like a small child. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I just, it's my normal. My, my normal is, is living with this uh, condition as I get, you know, it's non-degenerative thankfully. And, uh, I went through a lot of occupational and physical therapy and those uh, AFL leg braces were really what got me into fashion because my yes. mom was into uh, finding ways to empower me through them. So we would go to the garment district in New York uh, and find like long socks that you could roll over the leg brace and mm. they would like coordinate with outfits and match outfits. Sometimes it would be like, I found these crazy socks. Let's find an outfit to match the socks. And that's sort of what gave me the fashion book. Um, yes. as it were and it really cemented this idea of fashion as armor or this way to empower myself against a world which may otherwise um, be judgmental or othering and so yes. I thought it was a powerful vehicle to that. So, and that's fascinating it's, a, it's about almost taking the what people perceive as a disability but actually making it a feature of you in a way isn't it? Is that, was that the source and then actually then using that as a fund I, mean, I love the idea is fashion as armor because actually a lot of people would understand that would they you know you put your power suit on to go to work you do you know it, it creates a persona doesn't it when you have fashion uh, yeah, and, I'm, and I'm guessing that's where you started yeah I mean I, I also had a very good role model in, in my mother for this you know she had uh metastatic breast cancer my entire life she right. was diagnosed before I was a going concern so yeah. part of why they adopted and, and couldn't uh have their own children 
And I remember distinctly, you know, when she would, for example, be going in for a round of chemo or radiation, she would always, you know, have her scarf that she would put around her head and this one pair of like Dior sunglasses from the 70s that she loved. And it was like her armor. And so I observed that too. There was definitely that sort of observational osmosis, if you will, of this idea that I can suit up for a situation that uh, may be disempowering by its very nature, like chemo and radiation and it's scary or whatever it is. Uh, but through fashion, through the act of adornment, through the act of articulating myself through fashion, uh, it, it negated some of those feelings. It made it an opportunity to be more myself during a situation where I might feel disempowered. Um, and I think that's why this mission for Little Red Fashion is just so important to me, is that we have an opportunity to use fashion as a lens to deconstruct so many negative things that the industry is notorious for over the previous decades. And through books, education, and technology, we can do it in innovative ways that have never been done before. Um, so, so, I get, so I get that. Uh, but before we move on from that point, I think it's, it's interesting because a lot of people have anxiety, a lot of people have like you say, body dysmorphia, body dysphoria, um, all these yeah. different things. In, in a sense, what you're saying is that you can use fashion as part of your um, therapeutic approach almost by either creating a persona, creating the armor, or understanding that what you, how you currently present yourself might be part of your ongoing issue, perhaps. Yes, absolutely. I think that you know, we live in a consumer culture. I think it's a double-edged, fashion is double-edged sword, right? So on the one hand, it can be very empowering. On the other hand, if you get too wrapped up in that consumptive culture and you are putting a premium on fashion to the detriment of your overall financial health, if you are, you know, pushing into that addiction space with fashion, just like anything else, yeah. uh, then it becomes detrimental. And so, you know, I think creating a healthy relationship between clothing, garments, consumption, and kids is vital. To but but, but what, what we're saying here is this, is that, and, and I think what you were saying with your parents and you is that you're creating that thing for yourself, not for the approval of others. And then that's what's exactly. right, isn't it? Because a lot of the body dysmoria from Instagram comes from desperately seeking approval from others. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, we look at the filterification of social media and how so many, and this is something I talk with my tech colleagues a lot because we're doing augmented reality. Some people are like, oh, you're putting out a filter. And I said, well, we're going to be doing some AR filters that maybe do show garments on you. So like you might want to wear the little red dress through a filter, but uh, we're really working on pushing the envelope of that technology to say, okay, if I have a filter of a dress, maybe that dress needs to fit multiple body types. We can't just do a one size fits all AR filter either. So really finding ways to get the technology to match up with the true diversity of people rather than forcing them into a filter that might make them react really negatively to an unedited photo. Yes. You know, that's, that's something that's really important to me. It's just, it's this new version of the same conversation we've had about airbrushing and retouching. Yes. Um, it's just a new version of the same conversation and I think, it behooves us as adults to teach children that whatever you're curating as your online personality needs to come from you and should not be obfuscating who you are. It should be empowering who you are. And as long as you're conscious of that, then you're approaching it from a healthy way. And if you're not approaching it from a healthy way, here are some ways maybe we can identify that and then go from there with a mental health professional or whatever it might yeah. be. And this is the problem, isn't it? Because a lot of the um, most experienced and most... Um 
useful advocates for this sort of mental health or the people who are the least technology comfortable sometimes or or technology savvy let's put it a different way um so you know i i use ar and vr in my work and so i get you know i get the benefit of it but can you sort of explain a little bit about what ar is or augmented reality is in particular terms with the book as well so that'd be useful Sure. So we're leveraging augmented reality for Little Red Fashion in order to enhance what is a formerly static resource, a book, and make it more dynamic. So throughout the book, there are activations that almost act like an RPG style game where there will be different elements of the illustrations that come to life that can be tapped on in screen, and then it'll expand on information. So for example, on our main illustration uh, page, that is the cover of the you know red dress going down the runway, worn by our model Kiki, beautiful black model. Uh, you know, you'll see reactions from the crowd happening in the AR activation. It was like a digital pop-up book, but some of them will be interactive and talk about things like the importance of diversity within modeling through groundbreaking people like, uh, you know, Pat Cleveland uh, at the Battle of Versailles, which saved American fashion in many ways. Uh, you know, or we have a body positivity page where the little red dress is on an influencer who is a full-figured woman, and it talks about the importance of non-traditional models like Jillian Mercado, who's in a wheelchair, like uh, Tess Holiday, who is a plus-size model. You know, it, it's about using the technology at our disposal to make books more engaging. Right now, what we heard from a lot of book sellers was that they're very frustrated because most of the big players are using AR as another entertainment gimmick. Whether it's some licensed character from some universe flies around your living room or goes across your dining room table, but their ed tech piece is missing. And these are publishers. If you're writing a book, there's plenty of stuff you don't want to go into in the meat and potatoes of the story that'll distract from the flow, mm -hmm. but might be really beneficial in driving home the deeper, more important messages that you're trying to convey. For mm -hmm. us, again, that's fashion as a lens for diversity, equity, inclusion, and sustainability. So is your company about fashion or is your company about education or is it, of course, you know, a, is there a portmanteau overlap between those it two? It is a combo platter, fashion, publishing and ed tech. Yeah. It's about, I call it the lensing model. We are using fashion as a lens nice. to talk about and deconstruct all of these complex things because I view our job as almost a broker. Our job is to broker conversations between kids and grownups about these issues using fashion because it's infinitely relatable. We've all had that moment where we've suited up for, let's say you're going in for a job interview and you feel like these are my fresh shoes and my fresh shirt and I've, I've gotten these things. For people who are of limited economic means, even getting that clean shirt and that fresh suit is, is something that is an accomplishment in and of itself. If you're a returning veteran and you are reacclimating to mainstream society, I worked many years ago with an organization called Save a Suit that was all about suiting up veterans to get them reintegrated into the workforce. Um, those conversations and those transitions are very powerful places where learning, empathy, and empowerment happen. And so I found after writing the drafts of this book <laughs> uh, and starting to do my research, you know, there's nothing like that. There was nothing in the space of fashion education that talked to kids. Kids who love fashion didn't have the same resources as kids who love dance or football or drama or any other creative field. Fashion is kind of sequestered to the older kids that are either getting ready to apply to like Parsons or Pratt or FIT or Central St. Martins. 
But antecedent to that, you're missing out on an entire trajectory of a young person's life where fashion plays an integral role in how they navigate the world, but is being undervalued as a resource for teaching them about that world and as a lens to understanding themselves, to understanding basic economics. If they're interested in business, you know, we're not tapping it as a resource to teach that. Um, so really just, I, I consider my job to, to mine the field of fashion for all of these precious nuggets of educational uh, opportunity. And so yeah. our job at Red Fashion is to find as many of them as possible. Our first book is about a little red dress, but our second title, for example, is all about soccer kits. So if you're a footy fan, uh, you know, let's talk about fashion history through the construct of football. Let's talk about trading soccer kits. Let's talk about how the Predator shoe saved Adidas. Let's talk about, and again, uh, you know, I played soccer as a kid with cerebral palsy. I wasn't very good, uh, <laughs> but I enjoyed it. And so writing stories where we have a disabled protagonist and his best friend who's on the soccer pitch and they both love trading jerseys and kits and they're both really into that. And that's how they bond and we teach about allyship and we teach about navigating bullying and all these things. Again, brokering these conversations through fashion is really what's at the core of what I do. Yeah, so fashion's the metaphor. Yeah, and for right. kids who love that, it's a metaphor for all kids, but then for the kids who are interested in fashion, whether that's as a designer, a future marketing person, a textile professional, whatever, it's also about that information that they otherwise wouldn't be getting or is mm. often sequestered or there's a high barrier to entry uh, later in life where they don't know the right people to get an internship or that, you know, fashion is uh, simultaneously one of those very attractive career paths, especially after a generation of shows like Next in Fashion, Making the Cut, yeah. Tragic Runway, yeah. but if highly sort of like a walled garden, you know, mm -hmm. there's a very high barrier to entry. You usually have to know someone uh, or this or that. Well, if you live in Iowa or the Midwest, anywhere where you're not near fashion capital, but you're a kid who maybe is uh, like Stanley Tucci's character in Devil Wears Prada and you're reading Vogue by flashlight under your covers, then that's who we're for. We're for that kid. Uh, and we're also for all kids, again, through that lensing approach. So we're for all kids, but we're providing different values, valuable things to, to those kids, whether they're into fashion or not. How about, fashion... um, how about the sort of transgender world where people, where fashion becomes a very, very um, significant part of body dysphoria as well as this more? Oh, I would love to go there. So I, I sit on the board of the New Haven Pride Center, which is one of the largest pride centers uh, in Connecticut. And when thinking about the trans community, for me, that's where, again, building empowered youth rather than broken adults is really powerful to me and important. And so we have some later stage technology that we're developing for deployment in a few years that involves using smart mirrors, for example, to teach fashion education. But eventually, if you are a transgender youth who maybe it's not safe for you, to express your gender identity in public. Maybe then, you know, if you have parents who are on that fence where they want to support you, but they're worried about the world's reaction to you. Okay, I grew up with a Persian father as a gay man who was very often concerned with, okay, I know you're gay, but like, how is the world going to react to that? And like, it's gonna look badly on me if yeah. you have like pink hair or you, whatever it is. And I, I lived that, I navigated that. Um, it was very painful, it was not very pleasant, it was not very enjoyable, but, if through a smart mirror, we can give them experiences in a museum and an educational institution, if they have one at home where they can wear clothes in alignment with their gender identity and expression, that's extremely powerful. 
Uh, maybe the family, you know, doesn't have a budget, but to buy a smart mirror or buy all these clothes, or they're worried about buying those clothes and being supportive in that way because of public reaction. Well, maybe they'll come through a little red fashion pop-up that has a smart mirror. And at least for that day, they'll be able to see themselves in like a gown from 1865 that's been scanned from an extant collection that they're then wearing or whatever it might be. I, I think, you know, we do have titles that we are planning that touch on these issues, of course, because again, we wanna represent all families, all types of children. Um, and that goes on the other side of the coin too. You know, if you are a person of faith and you are looking for a kid's book about modesty fashion, that's in the pipeline also. Our job is not to tell adults how to engage with their kids around fashion. It's to create resources so that there's at least one thing in our product lineup, in our series of books, in our animated content, whatever we're doing, that can speak to you and your family. Yeah. Fashion is for everyone. Okay, so do you want the people to approach you are, who are adults with children, who or are, you, are you aiming to the younger people themselves? Both. Both, yeah, I thought you might have saying that, yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely both. I think for the adults, it's about providing resources that they may not be aware of because they're not fashion people or whatever, for whatever that means, yeah. uh, or they just don't, they don't know where to look. You know, how many times do you see a kid being like really into something and they give you like 600 facts about it and then, you know, and you're like, wow, I didn't know that much about dinosaurs until just now or whatever it might be. But then they ask you a question and you're like, I don't know anything about that. With fashion in particular, I find that that happens a lot. And feedback from industry professionals is also like, you know, we get so many questions from kids who just don't have adults in their life who get it. If you talk to a lot of fashion professionals who are in the field now, they'll say, you know, my family just never understood me. They thought this was not a real career. They thought I was crazy. And, you know, it was tough for them to, again, broker those conversations. So our job is to appeal both to kids who want the information from an I like fashion perspective, but also for adults who go, hey, this book is about a lot more than a dress. This is a book and a story about resilience. This is a story about uh, having the world see you for who you are and being appreciated for that inner beauty. There are layers to it, you know? And so for me, it's just about creating that balance between resources that adults can comprehend and are digestible and resources that kids are naturally drawn to. Yes, no. This is an, 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 an unusual question. I think you might struggle with this one, but I mean, um, for, the th for that person who's been listening and didn't pick up your website address or the name of this book, um, <laughs> tell us how <laughs> we can find out more. <laughs> sure, uh, you can find out about everything we're doing at littleredfashion.com. And the name of our first book is The Little Red Dress. And when's it coming out, did you say, um, Jane? Well, it's currently available for pre-order uh, on our websites, and it drops in February. Uh, disclaimer, you know, we are an independent publisher. We do not sell on Amazon currently. We are trying to support, we are a member of the Independent Book Publishers Association. And as a startup, you know, we have limited budgets. <laughs> and so through pre-orders, it's a much more easy way to dive into the world of publishing and really make sure that we're not overprinting from a sustainability standpoint and having tons of books printed that aren't moving yet. Mm. Uh, and also I'm a big believer in co-creation. And so things uh, take time to build audiences take time to build and we're building a community for the long haul which means we want that early stage feedback from people who are pre-ordering and supporting and understanding that they're part of an organic journey you know uh creating an augmented rea augmented reality enhanced book at a time when because of web3 the metaverse and nfts 3d designers and asset creators for these types of activations are eating pretty well 
Yeah. Uh, you know, our budget from when we started ballooned because of those costs because they were commanding a premium. So what we do is because we wanted to meet the printing deadline, we send kids in 2022 a little sticker pack that will give them the activation codes for the QR codes that activate the different pages of the book. And then they match them up with the pages so that we're able to meet our print deadline. Originally, would we have wanted to just have the book printed with the codes in it? Absolutely, but you gotta be flexible. I, that's, speaking of resilience, part of being a startup founder is find, finding workarounds for the unique roller coaster ride that you're on for whatever yes, your business is. Absolutely. Um, wow. Well, I'm gonna buy something. I can see a nifty on the original. I mean, the thing about um, fashion as well is that nifties work really well, don't they? Because you, you can really get that that dig digital um, real estate on that that image. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Um, I love it. I, I think it's a great idea. I think it's um, really fascinating. And when we get off here, um, I'm going to talk to you about some of the contacts I have in this world who might be useful so uh, or might be really interested as well. So well, it's you. been fantastic. So um, let's just one more time. Let Red Fashion to come. Um, and I'm guessing you're all over the show socials and um, oh, yes. no doubt in the metaverse now that we have to call it that these days. Yeah, we're so, working at, definitely working on the metaverse, definitely yeah. on uh, uh, you know, a blockchain and Web3 specific advisor to move us Good. down that field appropriately. Uh, if you want to check us out on Instagram, every Thursday we post an interview with a fashion industry professional giving their feedback to kids who might want to uh, do what they do in the industry, uh, yeah. whether they be historians. We just uh, had a great interview with Dr. Kate Strasden. Uh, she's phenomenal. Uh, and that's at Little Red Fashion Co. on Instagram. Brilliant. Brilliant, yes, brilliant, brilliant. Loved it. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And thank you for all your Likewise. energy. It's towards the end of the day in the UK, whilst you're just getting started in the, Amer in the Americas. Yeah. So um, thanks so much for your time today. It's been a, um, a real joy meeting you and talking to you. Thank you so much, Russell. I appreciate it. And thank you to your audience for giving us a listen. You take care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed, and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.